Hello and welcome to the Podagogy Podcast, the podcast that aims to bridge the gap between teaching, coaching and all things pedagogy. Hi there and welcome back to the Podagogy Podcast. This is the first instalment of a two-part psychology series. Today you'll hear from John Adamson. John is the lead YDP coach at Chorley FC and an onboarding specialist at Kitman Labs. Sit back and listen as we talk all things psychological safety. John, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no. Um, so I think before we get into kind of today's conversation, um, if you just tell me a little bit more um, about yourself and your your journey and your experiences, um, and then we'll kind of pick up from there, I think. Yeah, sure. So um, I've been coaching around 14 years, uh, mainly in grassroots from a football coaching perspective. So I passed my level two a year or so ago. And I'm in going into my third season at Trolley. So Trolley FC is more like semi, semi-pro, I call it. Um, and I'm taking the 15. So this age group is the oldest age group I've had really. I, I've, in the past, in grassroots, I've been doing uh, anything from sevens up to sort of 12 and 13, but mainly around that 10, 12, 13 age. So at Trolley, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm in the older ages now, age groups now, which is new for me. Um but yeah, uh, obviously, coach, been coaching for a while, voluntary. Uh, and in work experience, in parallel to that, uh, I'm a website analyst um, by trade, in a sense, at the beginning. Uh, and then I moved into what's called website optimization, which is using analytics or qualitative and quantitative data to help improve websites and, and look at, look for um yeah, data to prove certain things, improvements we're making on websites uh, are seen a benefit. And obviously also getting customer feedback to improve websites and things like that. So that's website optimization. And then more recently, so for three years, I worked in what's called a product team. So the way I explain that in business world is in between um, tech, customer and business. So it's kind of like the brain in the in the middle that sits between the developers to do the building, uh, the customer needs, which the the product team is really focused on, and then the business goals by the by the stakeholders. And what they do is they prior they prioritize manager backlog, and tell the business what they should be building, and and based on those three pillars, tech, big business goals, and customer. So I, I'm very much the analytical arm of of that. And then more recently, and um, so I worked. Uh, tireless, tirelessly for the last two years in, in trying to get into the sports industry. So obviously my passion for football, um, I, a lot, mainly COVID really, I worked behind the scenes to find where I could fit into the sports industry. And I now work for Kitman Labs, which is a, an intelligence platform, a sports um, intelligence platform that um, many clubs around the world, um, quite a big base in the in football, UK football, teams um and we house all data any anything from coaching information coaching uh, the coaches information like calendars and sessions to athlete data to uh, we're very uh, sports science led biz- uh, company business so lots of data science and um trying to reduce risk injury risk uh, and that side of things so yeah lots of uh, lots of data in there as well so yeah i've been here for three months as an onboarding specialist so that is about 
making sure our customers are, are trained on the platform when they're on board with us. So a bit a big change from my background, but no, lots of transferable skills from my tech background and my coaching. Hopefully I can merge that together into some sort of a yeah, career. Definitely. No, I mean, you're one of the first guests to talk a bit more about your kind of um, your work background, but I really like that because I think it's important. You know, we'll forget. I think probably there'll be a lot of people out there listening to this that are probably a volunteer like you were at one stage and as I am and have been and they have that day job and actually things can carry over um and we're going to talk a bit more today around some kind of psych psychology based stuff and obviously that's all that's all around us i guess um and you know you've you've worked in an analytical environment which I think, as you said there's lots of transferable stuff there so I'm, I'm glad you've kind of you've put that out there to give it some context which is which is really cool um so yeah we uh we connected on on twitter john when i saw you were talking uh with someone else about psychological safety um, and that really kind of caught my eye, um, so to speak, and, and that was what kind of um, got me to get in touch with you, really. Um, so if I just kind of throw that phrase at you, where would you start with that to to the someone such as myself who's not got, you know, the greatest of knowledge of maybe what that is or what that looks like? What would what would you tell me? Yeah, so for me, it's creating an environment for for people in any in any in any term in terms of teams or business, any people in a team to feel safe. So what psychological the way I break it down is is mentally safe. Mm-hmm. So that they they can turn up to a training session or turn up to work and they're comfortable in their environment to be able to then perform at their best. Mm-hmm. And for me that is that environment and that culture that you build in that just the feeling you get as you walk into a training session um you it's not very easy to see and pinpoint from the outset um but there are subtle things in that in that environment that you create that can create that psychological safety uh so that's a, a really something i've really thought about especially over the lots of time we had over covid and understanding what what i am and what my game model is like i went to like a bit of a mentor coach's mentoring course over covid and everyone's talking about game models. I'm like, am I the weirdo here that I don't have this tactical, massive game model that I have the all these principles that I'm I sort of underpin myself on? And actually, there's a lot of my principles are psychological rather than tactical and technical. Um, so yeah, I kind of unpicked my brain throughout COVID and and realized that's that's where I'm at, where I'm at really. Yeah, I mean, what you say there about. Uh, a game model around that. I think anyone that's done any of the um, the fairly recent kind of FA badges or, or quals or whatever, we talk about the four corner model in terms of tech, tech, uh, social, physical. I think from from my experience, I think that psych corner, that psychological corner, is maybe one that gets neglected or mm. one that gets shoehorned a little bit. Um, and you talked around um, that maybe it's, it's it's hard to spot, but there are certain you know nuances or sort of things. What would I expect to maybe see if I was to step into a psychologically safe environment, or I stepped into a team where that environment is tried to be created? What sort of things would I expect to see? So, there's that balance between support and stretch. So mm. it underpins is the support element. So you're not, to the coach, those players are not just players turning up. I'm going to show them how they should play football. And then on Saturday, we're going to win a game and they're going to win a game for me. 
It's not that's not the, the gist of it. The gist of it is they turn up. You know, you you know them personally. They, they they can see that you care about them as a person, and that creates like almost that family feel that you know the supportive family vibe that you this this guy actually cares about me rather than just my football uh, skills or whichever. So that's that's sort of the underpinning bit. Um, and then within that, you, you have your values, whatever non-negotiables, and sort of almost like life skills, soft skills, not being a good human type things that I, I sort of sell within the environment, you know, people helping pick cones up or helping your mate do, you know, do something, you know, the goalie ties laces or someone going getting that ball, that ball that's miles away, you know, just the small things that you use almost praise and, uh, and give affirmations for to sort of say what's good, what are the good things that you want to see and, and reinforce them. So it all starts with that really, those basic good human principles for them to realize they need to be a good teammate. That's one thing I did say at the beginning of last season was that my the, my mantra for the season was be a good teammate or be the best teammate. And because you can't be in a team sport without being a good teammate, like you might as well go and play golf if you want to do go on your own, you know? So um, yeah, being first is think yeah, thinking of others and being a good teammate. So that's mm. the, that's the cornerstone of it, really. Yeah, and then it moves into things like language and communication. Um, yeah, the many forms of communication are you know, not just your voice, but your body language and all that sort of side of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, something we we put to our players, um, kind of midpoint through last season was around: Would you want to be your own teammate? Would mm. you want to be on a team with with yourself? And yeah. we put that question to them, and you could see the uh, you could see the cogs going. Uh, and start to think about uh, actually here and we start to talk about different you know um, does does who you are as a teammate change in certain environments um, so I work in a bit of a, an environment where we, we is development focused but we also want outcome and performance so in the games where we, we're comfortable you know are you the same teammate and the same person to the games where things are really really tough and I think that maybe is the true measure of, of of an environment is when things get get tough. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, because that then squeezes your your real emotion out there, like how you actually feel. So if you're frustrated by something, it will tend to come out in the more stressful moments rather than the easier moments. So, but you, so yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm already starting to think about um my, myself as a as a player in, in kind of years gone by and some of the environments I was in, I'm already kind of pigeonholing some in my head of what you said around that one maybe was psychologically safe and that one wasn't. Um, and how I felt or behaved and acted in those different environments. So what would we expect to see from 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 players or from learners or whoever in an environment that we is quote unquote psychologically safe versus one that, that isn't? Yeah, yeah. So it's that, I say that support and stretch. So, in an example where you discuss with a t- with a player, you know what their strengths and and areas improvements are. For example, you might agree there's a, a certain area that we both want to he, the player wants to improve on, and you say I I want to help you improve this rather than you going right. Your weakness is this, and we're going to make you do ten passes over the every day, you know, before you get into get better. So it's more that collaborative approach and being again speaking to them as a person. And then 
that supportive element is again that language I just use then I'm going to support you in getting better at that then if that's what you want to do mm-hmm. so then in that mode so there's an example that last season I wanted a player to do a certain thing or he wanted to learn this as well that there was a practice that was perfect he was going to do have lots of repetition so instead of piling the pressure on going right mate you've got to do this now this is your this is your time to and then he he fails to do it and you go oh come on you you know you can do that and it's I say that subtle language mm-hmm. tone of voice body language where I, the way I I say is keep trying it keep trying you're learning keep learning like keep you know keep looking give, give yourself the best chances and then when you see that small improvement you then go I saw that then you had that little look and that's the next step to getting even better at this move isn't it and then you, you, you're encouraging pushing through so they know that support is that cornerstone mm. but there's that stretch to say I know he's helping me that's why he's stretching me not he's having a go at me that's why he wants me to get better you know mm-hmm. or I have a weakness that's why he wants me to get better so it's it is very much that that supportive stretch and the language that's come comes around that. So every time you spot the good intention rather than the good outcome, mm-hmm. that is the bit I, I pr- I'm praising to say. I can see you try to do that. Then, well done. But keep try, try again. And I'm not going to have a go at you for failing. That's the whole point: is to learn and fail and improve. So mm-hmm. it's that it's that whole cycle of support and stretch. And, and I'm using that positive light and supportive env- uh, language to push them through it, basically. I use the analogy of pushing them upstairs a little bit, like keep nudging them along. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess for me, if, if I think about a, a safe environment, a psychological, that's an environment where um, mistakes are not just accepted, but embraced. Yeah. Um, and just touching on what you said there about praising the, the the process or the intention over the outcome. So accepting and embracing, acknowledging the fact that in order to learn, we need to make mistakes. I guess you yeah. think about any, any skill you've ever learned in your life, you've made a mistake to get that point. So riding a bike, we all, we all fell off many, many times before we, we got the pedals going. Uh, yeah, yeah. Learning to drive. explicitly saying that as well, isn't it? it? You've got to say to them, you know, this session isn't isn't a good session unless you are making mistakes if you're all doing everything perfect we're not stretching you enough yeah it's yeah it's being explicit and going mm-hmm. i expect you to be making mistakes i remember saying before saturday's game i said um you your default here is to ex- to understand that every player on this pitch in this squad today is trying their best and he's doing their best that's the default you you should expect from everyone and everyone will be expecting from each other so if they do make a mistake, that they're not doing it on purpose. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't come here to make mistakes. Yeah. But I guarantee all of you will make mistakes today. And it's how quickly you can forget about it. Yeah. How quickly like think the things I'm similar to you. I, I listen to podcasts and read books. And one thing I, I stuck in my head recently is about yeah, being a goldfish, forgetting, forgetting your mistake and what's just happened. And that's kind of almost like sometimes the difference between that elite and and the non-elite because you can not let your performance affect negatively affect you. Because yeah. um, I say you have that potential, but it's your own mind that blocks you from your potential the majority of the time, nothing else. So you have to have your mindset in the right space. And if you can erase, pretty much erase, forget quickly about the mistakes you're having, yeah. then you can learn from them and, and be at that growth mindset side of it, you know? Yeah. 
I mean, grow, growth mindset. Some I've spoke about with with a few people on here. That's something that's that's really kind of cropped up. So not just accepting that mistakes are um, going to happen, but ensuring that we learn from them, how we learn from them, and guiding them through them. So I was um, I was clipping up a, a, a game that we played midweek on Wednesday and getting some kind of clips of the centre backs. And I highlighted a couple of clips where the centre back has, has given the ball away. Now, she didn't need me to highlight that for her. She can highlight that herself. What she needs from me is how are we going to correct this next time? How how are we going to um, overcome that challenge next time? I think that's the important bit as well. So not just yeah. highlighting, accepting the mistakes, but how we're going to learn from them and work through them together, I think is important as well. And that's something, again, you, you said mentioned language at the beginning. How can we work through this? How can yeah. we overcome this, not you? And that's where I see a good coach versus a, an average coach is if you see something happen once, not jumping mm. on it. Mm. But if you see it recurring, that's the time to say, right, this is a development yeah. um, moment here that if they do the same thing and they can't figure out and solve the problem or have the right technique or whichever, then that's when the coach then steps in and says, you know, I, I'll, you need, it looks like you need a bit of help here. I'm, I'm here to help you. Mm-hmm. I see too many coaches jumping on every every little mistake constantly and it's not allowing them to learn then they they do the opposite they don't want to make any mistakes and then they do, they do the easy pass and they they don't gamble on that tackle or that killer mm-hmm. pass yeah are you familiar with um either social identity or social identity leadership at all as a, as a concept no, no, no. So this was something I looked at um, as part of my as my dissertation. So in in short, it's a it's a theory of leadership where um, the leader creates a sense of shared identity within the group. Okay. Um, so the 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 easiest example was, um, and I, I I specifically use this within my within my work was the year that Derby County were relegated from the the championship uh, the Premier League with eleven points. They still mm. averaged over thirty thousand home attendance that year. Um, and that was kind of the starting point for the research was like, why? Why did Derby County still, and, it, they're gonna get, and they went off and then basically it all came back to this idea of a shared identity. Every, all those 30,000 people had this shared identity of, of, as Derby County fans. And from there, look, how does that apply to then leadership and creating a sense of, a sense of we is how it's often referred mm-hmm. to. Well, I've just talked there about language around, um, you know, how are we going to work through this? And I was, I was reading up a little bit before, before speaking to you that, engaging in that social identity leadership and creating a sense of we or creating a sense of us um has has direct links and direct correlations with increased psychological safety right uh, that kind of sense of belonging and that almost yeah, like yeah. if i'd say comfort taking comfort in that you're not alone with with a problem you know you've yeah. got 15 other teammates and be blamed in a sense yeah yeah and i think there's also it's funny you mentioned blame because the next thing i was going to jump onto there was um blame and blame culture that that increased psychological safety is likely to reduce that i would imagine yeah yeah it's, I, I i agree yeah there's it's always going to be t- tough with a, l- a large squad to get everyone fully on side but yeah that the aim would be to reduce sort of the, the blame and that the ego and the sort of in, individualism of of teammates yeah mm. um another kind of point i've got jotted down here so you've worked in um in, in a business environment as well and, and within sport um and if we're going to be thinking about this from a leadership point of view um if we think about things like um decision making um and group decision making do you think there's any impact that being psychologically safe could have on that at all on decision making yeah yeah so i think i just alluded briefly to it then if you're in a, an environment where you're not safe 
and every mistake is, is critiqued and criticised and jumped on, you're more likely to make a safer option right than the right option, just in case you missed it. So again, that killer pass, you're more likely to make a safe pass mm. so that you don't get shouted at, you know, by a coach or your boss, or, you know, um, then try and do that through ball that's going to create the goal. Mm. So that's certainly a big part of it. And coaches, some coaches don't, Understand that they're the they're the they're the catalyst for the for the players, mm-hmm. you know, performance and and going in the shells and stuff like that. So it's yeah, it is tough to see that sometimes when you see the, the impact of some coaches. Yeah, yeah, in business in business the same. You know, in business it's the same. Where if you're yeah not in that shared we uh, team environment and you get the blame, then less likely to sit your neck out when you needed, do go the extra mile, um, mm. do the extra hours when 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 your team's under under the cosh. So yeah. Yeah, I guess also that um we've talked about obviously the mistakes side of things, but then being happy to to try and maybe contribute. So if you think about your your half time team talk or your discussion in the classroom or your your meeting in business, I guess those who feel more safe psychologically are going to be happier to to pop their hand up and contribute and, and try and add um, and that uh, reduce risk of social blunder or embarrassment or whatever. Yeah, definitely. That's, that is quite a big part of it, to be honest. I had that open door policy and that's hopefully create that bit of safe environment that in them half time and end of match, beginning of match, we can be honest and players do be honest. Um, I feel like that's a bit of a gauge as well. If you yeah. constantly saying, have you got any questions, you know, what, why are we losing or, you know, whatever, and no one says anything, that's probably an indicator that they're not as safe um, or they can't articulate the thoughts in that emotional moment, you know. So, yeah, I think a co- one of the coach's job is to try and, I don't know, yeah, there's, there could be subtleties in, in language where you ask those types of questions mm-hmm. or you could ask people a bit more individually as they're walking off rather than in that group scenario. So yeah, you've got. I think you've got to understand your players and just a bit, bit of trial and error, a bit of that testing and what yeah. type of questions bring answers out of people. Yeah, I guess we all we all know in whatever environment. If we put a question out there, we probably know the same three or four that are going to be quite happy yeah. straight away to to say something. Mm-hmm. Um, more often than not, I'm, I'm interested to hear from maybe the quieter people in the room or those who don't often say as much because they could have that that nugget that golden ticket yeah. almost so again yeah. i think it's sort of been called the the common knowledge effect which is you know basically the more the more people that know a, a piece of information we're more likely to get to the correct or a, a positive decision in decision making so if we're not hearing from from everybody because they don't feel psychologically safe they don't feel happy to pop their hand up in a meeting and say this is what i think or this is why we're losing or how we can overcome that but i guess we're losing out on that information and that perspective yeah, I remember, I can't remember where this was from, but I remember there being, reading about some test where uh, I think three or four people had sh- certain piece of information about an interviewee or about a number of interviewees. And the only way that they'd find how to choose the correct candidate is that they all shared their informa- all the information they had. Uh, I, I don't know where this, this is from, but... Um, yeah, it certainly showed that they picked the wrong person to hire okay. because they didn't all share the relevant information they had at the right time with each other. 
yeah because some were quieter etc and you tend to it's easy you know in the change rooms to follow that that louder voice and and, and let that be the the common everyone nodding going yeah you agree with him let's let's do that or whichever so yeah yeah it's interesting yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, we've mentioned books and whatnot a couple of times. I've read a um, Rebel Ideas by Matthew Syed. Yeah, yeah. One. And I think he actually starts off the first chapters around, I think it's around the CIA and, and counter-terrorism, yeah. things like that. Yeah, and actually yeah. they got to a point where they realised they looked around the room and everyone making these decisions was basically a, a carbon copy of the one next to them. Yeah. And actually the more diverse ideas and opinions and input we've got within the room, probably going to have a more positive and beneficial outcome for the group yeah that cognitive diversity and then like the cultural diversity and all side of it yeah no definitely there's there's so many times where you say you may ask that quieter player or you ask a question you think has got a simple answer to it yeah, a common answer and they throw some curveball at you and you go oh yeah okay yeah mm -hmm. we're expecting that but yeah it's a great answer or tell me more about that one yeah. so yeah they, You've got to try and keep them open, open questions and hopefully they you can tease. Mm. So I think the big one is that getting that first answer. Yeah. Because um, then you then people are, are more inclined to then be the second and third person to start start chipping in. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, my biggest my biggest example of this and recognizing this is is, is within the classroom in terms of our uh, direct questioning. Um, you know, what what do you think about X, Y, and Z? And, mm. Um. I don't know you, you'll get i don't know but if you if you then go back maybe five minutes later and you you squat down next to and have they do know they do know yeah. they just there's there's a barrier there there's a blockage there that's stopping them yeah. from yeah. wanting to to share um and the introvert you know they yeah. might not have that sharp enough brain to answer at that moment like so yeah there's, there's many reasons isn't there yeah yeah no definitely i know uh, i did a an example of a player in a previous grassroots team that he was he, he a very shy lad um joined my football team at the age of sort of 11 12 so i hadn't played a lot of football played at school and stuff and he always just played defense and just did his job and got stuck in and one game i put him in midfield i started in midfield and uh, so i did a bit of a team talk and told the team and then as we were lining up, I turned around and he stood on the sideline. And um, I was like, what, what's what's going on, mate? He's like, can't play centre mid. So like, what, why? And actually I teased out of him that in his first ever game, he thought he played rubbish. Mm -hmm. So he'd never play centre mid again. And I'm like, wow, the impact of one bad game or maybe you heard someone say that he, he had a bad game or someone said ne negative or, you know, even one bad pass can, can flip that mindset to say, I can't play his position anymore. Mm -hmm. But I remember, um, I think the season after when he was in my team, he would only play defence. Uh, and I kept saying to him, almost jokingly, you'll play a different position one day. I'll get you there. I'll get you there. And half time of a game, he came over to me, ran over to me half time. Can I play right wing this second half? I went, yeah, mate. Yeah. Yeah, definitely and i was like this that was like a hallelujah moment for me i was like yeah. this is one of my favorite moments of the season the fact that he's come to me and said i want to go and play in a different position because i've, I've squeezed i've teased him out of it in a, in a supportive manner and yeah he to be honest he didn't play very well and he knew that but i love the fact that he, he made that step to that first positive step to to go there so no anyway 
No, but those moments of um, kind of growth and those seemingly small wins, I think sometimes are the, mm. the most rewarding and most impactful, most powerful. Because for him, it's that is that that not necessarily just impacting his football. That is a life, a confidence thing, which yeah. affects everything in your life. And that's one time where he stepped out of his comfort zone and gone, I'm 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 comfortable in doing something different. Yeah, and yeah, that might the day after he might have stuck his hand up in class where he never does, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like the fact that he can influence that way. No, no, definitely. Or it's, or it's going for that job interview in in five years yeah. time or whatever it is, and yeah, definitely seeing that bigger picture. And and I think I think the tide is changing. I think we are starting to see that actually we're we're more than football coaches, we're more than teachers or whatever, and we've got this this bigger duty, this bigger moral duty to to set them up and prepare them for life. And I think this psychological safety and, and the benefits that come with that in terms of calculated risk-taking or stepping out of your comfort zone and things like that are so, so important for, for people going forwards. Yeah. And we can't mistake it for being a nice, comfortable environment, you know, a yeah. nice environment where you, sure. you don't punish your non-negotiables and you don't um, punish probably the wrong word, but you don't, set your stall out and have certain ways ways of rules of being a teammate of being mm-hmm. a good teammate you know you can't be seen just to be letting things slip really easy and and not um mm-hmm. yeah, putting um stopping that bad behavior so yeah it's not to be misconstrued of being yeah. that you know soft and cushy and everything's okay yeah never addressing and, and mm-hmm. conflict and 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 the behaviors that are not you know, on the right side of things. So. Of course. Yeah, no, definitely. Awesome. Um, some good stuff there. So um, how I like to, to finish on this on this pod, John, is with a, a couple of kind of quick fire questions for you. So so really putting you on the spot. Um, for you, what would be your three uh, fundamentals to successful teaching or coaching? Um, psychological safety. Yeah. Um, Yes, yeah, creating that environment. So that's that safety side of things. Um, having that bit of knowledge, you've still got to learn. You've still got to be, for me, like a lifelong learner in that in that space. Yeah, um, again, I don't feel like I'm a the, the my biggest strength is a tech tack. I, I call myself a manager rather than a coach. <laughs> but you need to know what your strengths are and you need to, yeah. to keep building on those. But also, like, be good enough to be able to keep improving that tech tack as well. Yeah. Um, third one, just I don't know enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, you gotta you gotta turn up no matter how tired you are or whatever you've been doing in work with that enthusiasm. And to be honest, I never I've never not turned up for a a football a, a trainer football recently because that buzz you already get from from what wanting to do it and and needing to, and you know getting up early for a match on a Saturday. Never grumble because it's, it's yeah. what I love doing. So you've got if you're if you're a coach and you're not there for the love of yourself and the people, then yeah, do something else because you're probably causing more damage than yeah than good. Yeah, definitely. Um what would you what would you tell John just starting out on his coaching journey? But if you could go back. I would say to go and assist experienced coaches. That's one thing I'm I didn't do quick enough. Yeah, it's to to learn. I kind of did. I did. I in my early twenties, I did a lot of voluntary coaching, uh, level one, level one goalie, level one disabled, all these CPDs. But I never watched someone and support someone coaching, and actually applying those things. And I became a bit lazy and and didn't really follow through quick enough on the coach I, I'm I'm supposed to be. So 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think yeah, that experience is where we is where we learn and, and, and like you said, apply. So yeah, definitely for sure. Uh, and finally, John, is there anyone um that you'd like to hear from on the podcast or anyone that you think I should look to speak to next? Um, it's a great coach that I've we've become really good friends. Um, uh, Matthew, who's um the coach at Freedom Football in like Manchester and Warrington area. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's banging a similar drum really in terms of empowering kids um to have a start for a fun environment, a safe environment. Um, so he, he'd be a great guy to chat to, I reckon. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you. Well, John, I appreciate your time. Um, it was great chatting with you. Some really, really good stuff in there. Um, I could honestly talk about this sort of thing for for, for hours and hours on end, but uh, I won't keep you for much longer. So, thank you. No worries. Thanks for your time. See you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Podagogy, the teaching and coaching podcast. Keep posted for part two of this mini series coming later this week, featuring psychologist Aaron Shahid as we sat down to discuss building resilience. Thanks again and goodbye.